following is a presentation of Gallery Church Downtown, part of a family of neighborhood churches seeking to display God's greatness to the world. For more information, please visit gcbdowntown.com. Good morning, everyone. We are reading out of John chapter 15, verse 11 through 13. Give everyone a second to turn in their Bibles. All right, verse 11. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friend. May God bless the reading of his word. Yeah, and I want, to, I want you guys to read along with us today. Um, on the slide is Philippians chapter 4, um, and I want us to read this out loud. We're going to read this at the beginning of each of our teachings over the next couple of weeks. And Ginger, come on up and join me. Um, so let's read this out loud together, Philippians 4, 4 through 9. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. All right, let's stop. Is there an exclamation point or a period after that? Um, I want us to read it with the proper punctuation and the proper response, okay? To start over, verse one or verse four. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Very good. Amen. Good morning. Uh, My name is Ginger, uh, for those of you who might not know me. And it is my privilege to help Ellis with the teaching this morning. Um, And I tell you what, the, the words that we just read are extremely convicting to me and um, during our prayer time this morning, uh, I, I already felt like I was bubbling up with emotion. So Ellis's prayer was, Lord, help her to keep it together. Um, because those words, whatever you have seen in me, do, right? Um, wow. That's like such accountability. Um, you and I were created for joy. How does that hit you this morning? Some of you know response. That's okay. (laughs) Do you believe it? Um, Lewis Meads wrote that. Um, He was a Christian author. He's no longer um, living. He passed away um, a few years ago. But he also claims that joy is our birthright. Mm. And he cites Galatians 5.22. What do you think about that? Our birthright. Mm. Is joy always a possibility for you? And for me, I found that in my research and preparing for this series that everywhere in the world, people are on the hunt for joy. They want more of it. It doesn't matter what their 
their faith is, if they have one or not. They're on a hunt for it. There are books. There are websites. There are movements. People who want to know and experience joy. But why does it seem so easy for others to have joy, but it feels so difficult for me? Have any of you ever felt that way? I want to have a little clarification before we go any farther with what Ellis and I are going to be sharing today and in the coming weeks. Um, Our time of sharing is going to be real and personal. And this is not a self-help series. We are going to be sharing truth, the capital T, truth. And it's not to be advice that you can take or leave. Um, This is our real-life experience and learning. We're going to share personal story. We don't stand up here as if we are self-righteous and are not in your shoes. Yeah, because I wasn't experiencing joy yesterday. That's my wife. No, it was really difficult. It was just weird. You ever just woke up in a funk? And no matter how hard you shook, whether emotionally, spiritually, or physically, you just couldn't get it reset. I just really felt like just banging my head against the wall, like, is there a reset button here? But I just couldn't find joy at all. And I did some really fun things yesterday, but I just never could really fully get there. So... And and that's not common for Ellis, so it's very Mm -hmm. scary for me when that happens, right? Like maybe I struggle with joy, but that's not normally his his story. So, but we've walked through some really difficult things. And most of you probably don't know the story of our lives. We've been married for 24 and a half years. And our, um, our saying, which I'm embarrassed to admit, and today I'm going to refute it in the name of Jesus. Come on. But we have said whatever can happen to the Prince family will happen to the Prince family. You would be shocked, I think, if we could go through the story of our lives and tell you some of the things we faced. And I'm not trying to get your pity. I just want you to know Mm -hmm. our lives aren't perfect and peachy and easy. Mm -hmm. We've walked through some really hard things. So our sharing is going to be real, and I need to move on. Mm -hmm. Um, So please, if you will, a request before I pray over us. Try not to have that mental battle where you're trying to refute everything we say. Mm. Where you're saying, oh, that's not really true. That can't be true. We just ask that you really open your hearts. Mm. And the prayer that the worship team walked us through earlier, Mm. that you would allow the Lord to speak through Ellis and I today. And that you would be challenged to change as a result of it as we have been challenged, especially me, challenged to change as a result of what I've been learning. So let's pray together. Father, we come to you, and as I prayed earlier with our team, our prayer team, Lord, teach us. Teach us. Open our hearts, our ears. Help us not to be cynical listeners, but open listeners to what you have for us this morning. Teach us and change us in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, The last few years um, have been extremely difficult for me personally, which means it's been extremely difficult for my husband and my family. When you walk through something personally, those around you are walking through it, whether they want to or not. That's just the reality. But as many of you know, this last year has been the hardest year of my life. Mm -hmm without any shadow of doubt, our lives. It's been the hardest year in all ways, in all areas. I'm just telling you that this morning. And through it, especially this last year, I had so much weariness and grief and then shame 
and frustration and lots of regret and definitely a discontentedness with where I was. It was in abundance. And I didn't want to be that person. You know what I mean? You don't want to be that person. I really wanted joy through it all. And I had some beautiful moments. I'm not saying I didn't, some moments of joy. Um, But for me to intentionally experience for myself in the midst of that mess, to revel in joy, that's kind of like uncharted territory for me. And so I'm just being very honest with you this morning. In a sense, joy kind of felt like odd-fitting clothes that I was supposed to wear every day. Have you ever worn something that was really uncomfortable? Maybe your pants are a little too tight or a shirt that's like, whatever, I don't want to get too personal. But anyway, you know what I mean. Has your underwear been in a bunch? (laughs) Well, speak from your own experience. But anyway, (laughs) so, but that's what joy felt like to me. Like I would pull it out of the closet every now and then on certain occasions. I knew I was supposed to, but to daily choose joy that I knew God was asking me to do, that was going to be a difficult experience. I didn't want my words and my life to be overflowing with complaints and resentments and more sad stories. Some of you would ask, how are you doing? And I would take a deep breath because I knew I literally had more sad stories to share and I didn't want to. And talk about walking that with children who are now 20 and 16, who are aware of the sad stories, some of which they're walking through personally. They're watching mom and dad. How are we supposed to respond? It's way different. So parents, prepare yourself for these kids that are growing up. It's a huge challenge and a level of accountability. I wanted joy in my home and in my marriage and relating to my children in the, I wanted joy in the work and the ministry that God had given me. Those were all gifts. But I also wanted to just celebrate and understand what it was to have joy in the smallest details of life. And I think that's where it's the biggest challenge for us. But how does one get joy? Is it a choice? Is it a feeling? Ellis is going to expound more upon it in just a minute um, with a definition that we're going to have as a a working definition as a a church family for these next few weeks. But, you know, we all have questions about that. Or are there things that you and I can do that can increase our joy or decrease our joy? So we're going to walk through some of that together as a family. But could joy be something that you're longing for more of too? And if you say no, I would say you're not speaking truth. And Ellis and I as leaders today are asking that we all are on this journey together and that we do long for more joy and celebration in our church family. Um, And I know you're ready to take over, so I'm sorry. I'm still heading. Just give me one more moment. Don't feel any pressure here. I'm enjoying listening um, to you and looking at you beautifully. Five words too many. (laughs) Glad you're feeling better today. But joy isn't just a feeling. It does sometimes manifest itself with our happiness, but it's different than happiness. And joy is not dependent on our, on our um, feelings or circumstances. And the reason that we can know this, remember what Ellis taught on Good Friday yeah. and Easter Sunday morning. Jesus endured the cross for the joy that was set before him. And just to expound upon it a little bit more, 
Did you know that you and I were that joy that was set before him? That's right. Turn to your neighbor and say, you were the joy set before him. You were the joy set before him. So Jesus endured the cross for the joy set before him. And listen to this. This is really important. The cross did not take his joy. No, it did not. It did not take his joy. And neither can our circumstances take ours, no matter what it is. Our joy is rooted in the person of Almighty God, who is eternal and unchanging. And what I've come to understand fully, and I praise the Lord for this, in a way that I've never understood before in my 45 years of living and my 39 years of following Jesus, our joy can remain constant, even in the sorrow. Because Jesus, our God, is constant. I want to share a quote with you before Ellis defines joy for us. And this is from John Eldridge. He and his wife are pretty neat writers in the sense that they share raw and real things. And this is what he said. The story of your life is the story of a long and brutal assault on your heart by the one who knows what you could be and fears it. Let that sink in. He knows what you could be and he fears it. Satan, the enemy of your heart and of my heart, does not want you and I to leave that place of despair. He loves it when we're there. He wants us stuck there. Talk about being stuck. But the lover of your wounded heart, Jesus, has a better plan for you and for me. And it includes joy. It is joy, and it is him. And did you guys catch the scripture reading earlier out of John chapter 15? I mean, the words that came out first were, I have told you this so that your joy may be in you. Did any of you think, why did you start there? Because it's actually talking about something else that was already said in the chapter. So a few of you are like, okay, that was a weird place to start. And it was a weird place to start for this moment. Because if you go back up to verse 9, he says this, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his. Like, there's been this rhythm and this pattern that Jesus modeled of, Dad, what? Okay, I will choose to obey. And so now he's passing on, Father, what? I choose to obey. And there's something in the hearing of clarity and the obedience as a father to a son in this idea of love and this idea of joy. Because if we are loving God and we're loving each other, then there's this way that we can experience joy because it goes on to say, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you. And that your joy may be complete. And he says the same group of guys that Jesus said, some of you are going to die for my name. So he wasn't taking away sorrow and suffering from them. But he was saying, because I've done this with the Father, I can now tell you, if you walk obedient with the Father, no matter what cross is ahead of you, the joy is still on the other side. Like you can go through it with that. And so um, I don't know if you remember, but a few months ago in September, we did a teaching on Mark 8. I don't know if any of you have taken time recently to actually come back over here and reflect on this. 
But this was the foundational teaching for us the first Sunday in September when we were setting a course for this year with one another. And I want you guys to come back with us to verse 35 where he says, Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. Because what is what good is it for someone to gain the whole world but forfeit their soul? And we put in here that, that there is an eternal perspective to our everyday life. We have to, in some way, be thinking forward. Like, I can't just, like, yes, I need to be fully present today. I can't wish my life away. Like, I can't, like, if there's a special vacation coming up, I can't just, oh, I can't wait for the 4th of July weekend and and just live in misery until that very moment that the vacation comes. There's a way that if I keep an eternal perspective today, no matter what I'm facing, I should be able to keep things moving forward. So the dictionary or the web search for the word joy generally gives a definition like this. Joy is a feeling of great pleasure and happiness. Let me just tell you this. That might be what has, be, has become of the word joy as it has morphed into the English language, just like other words have changed over time and and they don't have the deep meaning that they once did. I want us, because of our eternal perspective in Christ, like because of Jesus, we have to have a better definition of joy. And so the definition that I would love for us as a church family to work through over these next five Sundays, or six Sundays, is this is joy is the discipline to maintain perspective on what is true despite current circumstances and the determined choice to praise the Lord Jesus in all things. Do you guys hear this resoluteness to it? Is this almost like as if we're saying, I am drawing a line in the sand and now I am bunkering myself in and I am going to hold my ground. But that isn't a posture of just pain and sorrow and suffering. The posture is, I'm holding my ground in you, Jesus. It's this posture of, I can lift my hands in praise. I can clap my hands in songs, even while my enemies surround me. Because I'm in Jesus Christ and I have that. So a lot of us come with prejudices against joy. Can I just call that out? Like there are things that we, you want us to talk about at church, but joy is not one of them because you have had some sort of life experience because I just admitted yesterday, I, I couldn't find joy. And it was, I took some effort and there were moments where Ginger was looking at me with these eyes of you're freaking me out right now. Um, and I'm like, I don't want to do that. And I, I can't even put my finger on it, but I just felt like the enemy was just trying to suck it all out of me. And it was all that I could do just to keep focused on what was happening But most of us, because of our phobia of joy, our phobia of what real pleasure is, because we've become where we get pleasure in life in ways that I think are unhealthy. It has warped our perspective of joy. It has warped our perspective of happiness. It has warped our perspective of delight. It's warped our perspective of satisfaction. And so because we have a warped perspective on pleasure and joy and satisfaction and all these things, we don't really know what joy is unless something that is tied to a circumstance. Like, for instance, there are people that um, walked away from the New Orleans Saints football game totally ticked because of a, a blown penalty call that should have sent them to the Super Bowl. But then another team is like, well, human error. 
you know? And so they were just, one team is thrilled they're going, the other one was just livid, and it was the same experience from two different perspectives. And so there's so much of our life that is geared around what we've experienced and the cluster of emotions that have been associated with certain words in our life. But I think that the clarification for us is, is that we have to figure out a way for our joy and our brain to work together like it's like it's in there. I'm going to go search and find it because in this moment I need to know how to use this tool because it is in Jesus Christ that I can find this. And so you're familiar with the bell curve of learning. Most of you are students and there's been some sort of curve. And I don't know if we were able to find, be able to put it on a slide for us. This, does this remind you? It's, it's, this is this is simple. And it's a simple diagram of the way that things happen in the flow. And so I just want you to imagine on the one side are people that don't seem to struggle at all with joy. And then the people on the other side seem to struggle all the time. And have you ever been around them? Like the people that don't struggle with joy, you generally don't want to be around them too much. And then the people that struggle with joy, you generally don't want to be around them too much. Because it's like there's the extremes. It's like their tires on all four tires could have been slashed. And they're like, praise Jesus. And you're like, what? what's wrong with you? And then they say something stupid like, well, they're only flat on the bottom. You know, I mean, it's like, it, does, it doesn't matter. Your tires are flat. How can you find joy in this situation? And then others, like I have a friend that I'm not going to mention his name, but I promise you if he won the Mega Millions lottery, his response would be, I won the lottery. And he would go back to work. I mean, he wouldn't change anything about his life. I mean, I'm like, dude, you just won like $150 million. Yep. I mean, I don't want to get into the Winnie the Pooh characters and all this, but there's different people in our life that are bouncing on their tails and other people that seem to be losing their tail, right? And so we're, we're, we're caught in that. And so there's people that life is half full all the time and people that life is half empty. And then there's other people that are always smiling and the people that are suicidal in our life. And like, so the pendulum of the... Of, of life is that the majority of us in this room are somewhere in the middle. We're not on an extreme. I would say that by looking at and knowing most of our stories here in our church family is that we are generally somewhere in between, able to have great days, able to have bad days, able to be joyful, able to be sorrowful. And But we need to realize that, that we're all on this path together. And there are reasons, sometimes medically, that people struggle to find joy. I want us to call that out. Like, uh, There's reasons why certain people are, have a tendency towards depression and suicide. And, and so we're not just saying in this with a lack of sensitivity. It's like, look, there are obstacles, some spiritual, some emotional, some physical. But as a follower in Jesus Christ, Jesus didn't say, my word is for you that don't have a physical dependency issue. Right? Or that there's some sort of chemical imbalance issue or something like that. He's, his promises don't exclude the extremes. His promises are for everybody. And we have to maintain a sensitivity through this discussion that's like, okay, what are the specific things around your circumstances? But the goal is and the prize that God has set before us is nothing but pure joy. So why is it that we are so reluctant to think that joy can be a reality for us? Um, and I was, as I was thinking through this and, again, preparing, it, it hit me that we, we really don't have many role models, joy models, right? Yeah. People that we see in everyday life who live a life of joy. Now, again, I'm not talking about those that are on the bell curve that just naturally smile all the time and seem just happy-go-lucky. I mean men 
and women who really live out that Philippians 4 passage. Rejoice in the Lord always, no matter. Or our considerate pure joy from James. I, I bet if I were to challenge you, you couldn't even think of two people that you've seen that model a life of joy. And that makes it really difficult to learn how to live it out, right? So much of what we learn is from watching and observing and being challenged by mentors or our parents. Yeah, it makes it difficult. And another reason that we're hesitant to really um, believe that joy can be a reality for us is the considerate pure joy passage. Let's just call it out. Considerate pure joy when I'm walking through trials? What in the world does that mean? Who is this God, this Jesus that I'm following after that he would call me to considerate pure joy? We don't measure up. We know we don't measure up. Uh, and most days, we, you know, we, we, because we're walking through a storm and a difficult time, we say, well, when this storm passes, then I will experience joy. It might fall on my lap. I don't know. Maybe someone else will rub off on me. But I will just be thankful if I make it through today. Yeah, and there's a really powerful story in the Old Testament. And we spent some time in it on a prayer week uh, two years ago. But we walked through some teachings in and around Nehemiah. Actually, it was three years ago. So that really rules out a lot of us in the room. Exactly. But the thing I want, to, I want to start by this is that there were a group of people that were a fragment of a larger group of people. So imagine us feeling like we were all wearing the same colors, like we all graduated from the same university and we all were going to be all excited about the same things, but only a small portion of them were willing to actually go do something together. And how they walked from captivity all the way back to Jerusalem with the supplies to rebuild their city, but yet they were just a fragment of the number of people. Like, have you ever been carrying something and wish you had two or three more people on it? Like, it's like, it would really have been nice if my friend would have showed up to help me carry this right now, right? But could you imagine the children of Israel knowing they could have been over 600,000 strong, but they were probably 60,000 strong. And they're like, man, there's so much more work. So they're rebuilding the wall and they've got antagonizers that are antagonizing them. Like, you should, you're never going to get this done. This is a waste of your time. And all these other things that were being said to them. And then just the physical sheer labor. So it was emotionally draining. It was physically draining. It was spiritually draining. And there was this, this sense of being abandoned by a larger group of people. There was all this different types of emotion going on in these people in the book of Nehemiah. And then we find themselves in Nehemiah chapter 8, they had found a book of the law. They had actually found a, a scripture. There was a generation before that where all of the scriptures they thought had been destroyed. So they were just going off of memory. And then finally they find one and Ezra's able to open it up. And they divided the people up with priests all throughout the audience. And they're reading it out loud. And everybody is standing. And Ezra's seated. And all the people all day long for like eight hours were hearing this. And then they would pause. And then they would gather around the priest or the elder in their, in their midst. And then they would ask questions. And then they would be... And they, they just started weeping and grieving. Let me read this to you in Nehemiah chapter 8 and verse 9. It says, Then Nehemiah the governor and Ezra the priest and the teacher of the law and the Levites who were entrusting, instructing the people said to them, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. 
for all the people who had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. And then Nehemiah said, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some of those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. That's one of the most popular verses in all of Scripture, right? But the joy of the Lord is your strength. And it says, And the Levites came to them, saying, Be still, for the holy, for this is a holy day. Do not grieve. Like, he's telling them, Don't stop weeping. Stop crying. Stop being overly emotional. And what were they being overly emotional about? They were being overly emotional because of the conviction of their sin. They had realized that they had been living their lives apart from God. They were now hearing about this festival of shelters that was their way of celebrating the fact that God had given them a land that they didn't earn, that they had houses they didn't build, and that God had given them the ability to amass wealth that they had not had on their own, and that they were doing all these things, and they were doing it apart from God, and the the conviction of God just came over them, and they felt so ashamed of who they were, and God met them in their shame and said, have a party. Choose to go cook and celebrate. Choose to go get your best refreshments and celebrate and make enough for other people and pass the joy on. They had to make a choice to shut down what they were going through, choose to put effort into meal preparation, and then choose to gather around it and celebrate what they had learned about God. And I feel like so much of that story is relevant for us because so much of joy is a choice. So much of joy is us looking at our calendar and our resources and saying, how do I do a recipe of joy around this? I think it's really important too, and we probably will unpack this more as the series goes on, but what does that phrase, the joy of the Lord is your strength, mean? But it's important to focus on those key words It's not my joy. It's not Ellis's joy. It's not these sweet children's joy. It's the Lord's joy, John 15. It's his joy that is in us. It's not something that we produce. It is his in us which gives us the ability to have joy. Um, We talked about some stumbling blocks, some reasons that we struggle to believe that joy is a reality for us. But just like the children of Israel had thieves that were stealing their joy, um, we have that same thing. Um, They were faced with with the conviction of their sin. They realized how they had been greedy, how they had forsaken God, and were convicted of that. But some of the thieves that steal our joy, and I'm just going to name a few for our generation today. I should say for your generation, which I'm not a part of. I'm, I'm a different generation from most of you. But fear, pressure, comparison. That's just to name a few. They steal our joy, and we're each familiar with those things. It looks different for you and I. For some of us, it's these dark wisps that are on the perimeter of our lives. But honestly, for others of us, I mean, our hearts are just gripped by them, consumed by them. Panic attacks are no joke. Anxiety can debilitate a person. Fear can press a heart down to immobility. You're so afraid you can't even take the next step. Worry 
can consume a person. It's all you can think about. And pressure can rob even the possibility of joy. And honestly, each one of those things stems from this this nagging, mocking, doubt-filled fear that we are not enough. That our lives aren't enough. And if we were to be honest, that even God isn't enough to handle the difficulties that we're facing. So if I can ask you this morning just to turn inward and to do some self-reflection in just a quick moment. We're not going to belabor this point. But can you identify what your thief is that's stealing your joy? Hmm. Write it down somewhere. Make a note of it. Hmm. Ask the Lord to help you with this. Because, family, I'm learning. And I said I'm learning. I haven't perfected this. I am learning. And I told my daughter this the other day. If I can't rejoice and be glad today... I will never rejoice and be glad. I will waste the joyous opportunities of today waiting for tomorrows that may or may not come. Hmm. If I wait until life slows down, or the one I really struggle with, if I wait for the sun to come back, can I get an amen? Amen. I need that sunshine. Hmm. But my joy does not depend upon having sunshine. The kids, if I wait for the kids to get older and to be less demanding. Sorry, Caleb, you're really not that demanding. (laughs) If I lose some weight, if my husband, I'm not going to tell you what I put down here. (laughs) But if I'm waiting, then I'm spending my life waiting rather than living. Mm. We were created for joy. And there's so many places in life where we try to get false, like we try to like, plug up to something that we want to be a joy, but it really is a false sense of joy. So what, what if the things that you think will give you joy really don't, or they really won't? Mm-hmm. It's like you shaking it. It's like you ever had a really good like frozen drink and there's a little bit left in the bottom of the cup and you just keep like, and you find yourself banging it against your face and then it's on your face and it's not in your mouth. I'm just speaking from personal experience. I mean, that's my summer slurpee. slurpee routine. It's like they give you a great straw for scooping, but it can't get into the bottom of the cup, you know? And so it's, there's so much around this that there's like visual imagery for you and I and there are some things that we want to get joy out of but we can't wring the joy out of it and can I just call out a few of them and I think there'll be great discussions for you in your growth communities this week they're in the app for you to be able to go back to um, but I think we look to people way too much to be the source of our joy and let me just say this I've been around a lot of you enough to know that man you're just having a bad day until you look at your phone and you just saw who texted you and asked you out you're just like man this is just a really bad day whoa I feel really good right now it's just like all it took was just one person to acknowledge you and and like I'm dealing with two widowed moms right now they're going to listen to this podcast and I can't value fully what they need from me in communication I want to be a source of joy for them but if I am their only source of joy, it will fail them. Absolutely. But that doesn't mean I just, as a child, just say, well, you're on your own. Right. Because if there's anything in the red letters of Scripture that's non-debatable, is we have to take care of widows. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, if my mom's a widow, that's not just her church's responsibility, that's my responsibility as a son of God 
that I need to do those things. So people, people, our friends, our children, our coworkers, they can become unhealthy places of joy. Have you ever been around a parent was too kid-focused and their mood was based upon their child's obedience? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's just there's so much about life that if we look for our, our, our satisfaction in the people around us, we're going to run into some real troubles, and we can't allow that to happen for us. Coworkers, like some of you at work, you're just like, you just want the boss to acknowledge you. And when they give you that annual review and you get that one word of praise and they say nothing to you for 11 months, you have one moment of pure joy at work and then the rest of your time is nothing but pure sorrow at work because you just want to hear somebody affirm you. So people, other thing is places. Some of you, like me, when before we came to Baltimore to plant this church 11 years ago, my wife and I took a week and we drove around the outer banks of North Carolina and we were like, Lord Jesus, could this be the place? Imagine how I could lay on the beach here and focus on you, Lord. Imagine how much richer my teachings would be, Jesus, how much more intimate my prayer life would be, how much better my tan would be, and how much I could get into water sports that I'd never been exposed to. And then Jesus laughed in my face and said, Baltimore is where you'll be the happiest. You will come here for R&R, but you will not live here. But how many of us are living that way? Even right now, some of you are under the thumb of Hopkins or Maryland medical programs, and you just you keep saying to yourself, well, when I get out of here, when I get there, as long as I can get there, I'm going to be happy. As long as I can get there, I'm going to be in a place of joy. So many places are not where we're going to get our joy. Our joy comes in Jesus in the midst of the place where we currently are. Some of you are looking for possessions. I don't need to spend a lot of time on that um, but because you know that possessions rob your joy. Um, there are moments where you can go out and buy something new, and generally within a month or two, you wish you hadn't spent the money on it, especially if you're a male. Um, and so a lot of times it's reactionary spending. It's like, oh, I, I have to have a new television. The Super Bowl is coming up. And then you spend all the money, and then you try to return it, and Best Buy is like your pastor 14 days. Right? I've never done that. I just know people that have done this, you know, it sounded like, it, but you get to the point where you are just unhealthily attached to the possession train. And then so many of you also are looking to your position. If I just had a promotion, if I was just the next place, if I was just, if I was, if, if my power in my position could just increase, I would be happier if I was making all the decisions. I just want you to, I want to say to you, be careful what you wish for. Right? When I moved to Baltimore, I called two of the pastors that I had worked for as subordinate staff members and apologized to them for being bad second chair leaders, a leader, because there were so many moments where I was in my office scratching the head, my head saying, I really wish the pastor would do this. And then I found myself here and I couldn't complain about anybody. Because if it wasn't getting done or if it wasn't being done right and well, I had to look in the mirror and be like, man, you really are sucking as a pastor right now. You know, there wasn't anything I could do. And so position many times we think is going to bring us happiness and we can't let that. But here's another one that's really common in your generation. And I need to call this out. It's personality. If I hear of one more personality profiling test, okay, if I hear about how the Enneagram is going to change the world, right, I just, I, I want to hear, I, there, I love the books. I've got like 10 books on it. But I want you to understand this. We learn about ourselves so that we can experience joy. Right. We don't learn about ourselves so that we can look at somebody and say, that's just not the way I'm made. Right. This is just who I am. I'm a six. 
I'm not a seven. I'm not a nine. I'm not a one. I'm not a three, thank the Lord, right? Whatever it is, you know your numbers. And you go around and you clo- you clo- you cl- you, we claim them as if that's my identity. And we have, according to the writings in the New Testament to the early church, we have a Christ that can renew our minds. And so we've got to be really careful. So here's the thing that, I, that we've got to learn is that over time we develop more loyalty to our personality than we have loyalty to the Lord Jesus Christ. And we've got to make sure that our loyalty is to the Lord and our loyalty is not to personality, possessions, people, places, um, positions, and all of that. So what we do is very similar to what we see happened in the Old Testament in um, Jeremiah um, dealing with um, the children of Israel. He was given a a message to tell them. And um, you see in Jeremiah chapter 2, Um, It says, the word of the Lord came to me, go and proclaim in the hearing of Jerusalem, and this is what the Lord says. He says, I remember the devotion of your youth, how as a bride you loved me and followed me through the wilderness, through a land not sown. Israel was holy to the Lord, the first fruits of his harvest. And then it changes as the message that the Lord gave Jeremiah to give to his people was like, what happened And in verse 13, it says, God is telling the Israelites, My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, that living water that we sang about in in our song this morning, and they have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. I don't need to talk a lot about this because I think that you make the connection really easily. I mean, if you have a source of pure water, a spring, why would you not go to that source? Why would you pick up shovels and start digging in stone so that when the water's collected, it's it's not even clean, it's dirty. And after all of that hard work, there are cracks and the water just goes away. And... We look at it and we think how stupid those people were, but we do the same thing in our lives today as we go to these sources that are really just broken cisterns. They're not meant to satisfy our thirst. And, but often we go to them and it, it doesn't produce the joy that we want or the satisfaction that we want, but you know what we do? We pick up our shovel and we're like, if I just work a little harder... I'm going to dig a little deeper. It's going to give me what I want. But we are still thirsty, family. The foundational truth that each of us has to remember, and when we forget, we need each other to remind what we've forgotten, that God is the only true source of joy. And that's not cliche. This is the truth. Think about it as we walk through these false um, sources, these broken cisterns. God will be there when all else is shaking. When things and people disappear, when they're gone, I can speak from personal experience. He will be there when the people you love let you down or leave you. He will be there when the place you thought would make you happy doesn't satisfy any longer. He will be there when your favorite possession is lost or broken or in Baltimore City stolen. Mm. 
He will be there when your position changes or it's given to someone else. He is the spring of living water that will never run dry. So family, let me ask you this morning, what is your main fault source of joy? What is that broken cistern that you keep going back to and working on? Can you name it this morning? I want you to look deeply at the artwork too that's behind the graphic. If we can deeply. go back to the yeah, deeply. like that's like, really fun. Yeah, it's like it's look not the it's, I'm not an artistic person. Let's just stare at the photo. Sound like you were gonna hypnotize yeah. or something. Yeah, so um if I don't know if you can really tell, but there's actually two parallel train tracks here. And with this this piece of art, this picture was chosen for the series for a reason, and I need to draw our attention to it. Because what I have learned in my life is that I used to think my life was like a series of waves. So I would ride this wave. It could be a wave of sorrow, followed by a wave of joy, then followed by another wave of hardship, followed by another wave. And so the imagery is, is I'm going to have a season of springtime and then a season of fall. And a lot of times there's a long transition between my good and then my bad, or I've got a good life and then 18 months at Hopkins. And then I'm free. You know, it's like we view life as if we can just say it is a series of waves. And I've learned that that is not true. Um, I've also realized that much of life is like these parallel train tracks. Is that whether you're at Hopkins, you can have a joyous day and a sorrowful day at the same time. Like for me, like right now, as, as a dad, I can have joyous moments and sorrowful moments at the same time. It's like life, whether I'm in the peak or I'm in the valley, there's always grief and sorrow in complete unison with one another. And if, it, if my life turns to the right, they both go. If my life turns to the left, they both go. If I'm, if I'm going, like, it's like you could expect that around the corner it's supposed to be joyous and then you turn the corner, it's like, wow, grief met me there too. And then it's like you just, so, so then we try to develop a lifestyle where we're only looking out one side of the window because we're just trying to focus on that. And so we picked the train track imagery, because I think we can keep an internal perspective better if we realize that every day is going to be a mixture of reasons to be sad That's right. and reasons to find joy. Every day is going to be full of reasons for deep pain right. as well as reasons for great joy. And it's, and it's like, where are we going to let our perspective be? Because ultimately, somewhere down the road, those two tracks are going to emerge and there will be no more sad side of the track. That's right. And, and I think sometimes we think, well, if I just think positively enough, I can just think positive thoughts. I'm going to focus on the joy track. And, and we think that if we live in denial of the sorrow, that it's just going to go away. But, family, it doesn't. Now, there will be one day, and we stand on the tracks, looking down them, waiting for the return of our Savior, knowing that, as Ella said, the joy track and the sorrow track will merge. And one day, the sorrow will be gone, and only joy will remain but until that day comes, the reality is, and again, we're not trying to be Debbie Downers. We're trying to give you a realistic picture of life, yeah. joy, and sorrow. And there can be joy, and we will share experiences and stories with you of how in the deepest sorrow, there can be joy. Yeah, because we have to somehow, as a church family, over these next couple of weeks on this subject, 
figure out that the reason for the series, and I have it on a slide for you, I want you to be able to read it with me. The reason for the series is that we have to figure out how to stand on the tracks together. Yeah. And you notice I didn't say stand on the singular track. Right. Like you can't just have a growth community where you come in and you just say, we're not going to talk about your problems. We're only going to express joy tonight, right? We can't, we can't do that. We have to be willing to stand on the tracks together, realizing that our joy and our sorrows can be shared, that we can interact with one another. So much of the New Testament was getting the people of God to do the people of God things until Jesus comes back. Like that's why we call ourselves Advent people. We're the in-between people between the ascension and the resur- and the and the second coming. We just walk these parallel train tracks until one day Jesus comes back, and then their only joy is what we'll experience for eternity. And so I want to invite Olivia and Aaron back up as we get ready to respond to this. And we put this. I put some of these questions in the app for us for our growth community reflection time this week. But I also want to use it right now as a way for us to come to the Lord's table and to come into prayer response, because some of you today might find yourself in one of the extreme situations and you need a healing. You need to find um, your hope in what's been true and you want to talk to somebody one on one about it. We do have some people with that are here to pray for you that are going to be around the room that you can go to and say, I need prayer for and they can help you. If you want to put your life in Christ, they can help you do that. Um, but for the rest of us, what we need to figure out is, is what do you allow to hold you back from living a life of joy? Think about this. I just want you guys to not get too distracted by, the, by Rosie on stage. Look at me right here, all right? Don't, don't, don't look at her. Look at me right here, all right? I, in this moment, I'm, all right? So as you, as you are focusing here, I want you to hear this. We have to look for things that are holding our life back from joy. Right here. We have to look for things that are holding our life back for joy. So here's the thing. This is a tough place for some of you, okay? And I feel like that part of the distraction right now was so that you wouldn't have this moment. So just I need you to fight through it with me. Choose this, okay? Is that many of us have unconfessed sin, and it is suffocating us. It is stealing our joy. It is things that, well, nobody knows about it. Nobody is but yet you are crippled in your relationships because there's things that are going on in your life right now that are just destroying you and you're trying to fake life. We need to be like Nehemiah. We need to be convicted of our sin, confess it, and then realize that Jesus is there to pick us up and say, now go eat and celebrate. But we have to get to that point of confession. We have to have that realization that I'm a sinner and I need forgiven. And we've got to lay those things down. We also, um, in, through this series, want you to find where some of your, your hope comes from. Where can you find eternal perspective? Where can you start to say, where does my hope come from? Not my help, because we know that, but hope. Like, what, is, what are you hoping in? And if you make a list of hopes and there is nothing to do with Jesus, you're most likely going to run dry. We've got to figure out a way of articulating our hope in this life until Jesus comes back with things that are coming from him. So let me pray for us right now.